This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. What a beautiful and wonderful message. Probably never needed more than in these times, when it's easy to pick up the newspaper and wonder, is God really in control? And certainly there are a lot of things that happen in our world that don't happen because He wants them to happen. But basically what he says is I've still got it handled. I will not let it get completely out of control. And I know there are times in your life and mine when we probably have doubts about that. There's a wonderful just phrase in that song. If God is for us, who can be against us? The songwriter didn't actually come up with that phrase That's a phrase that's in the Bible. You find it in Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, it kind of doesn't make any difference who's against us. And I know Bob was picking on my Steelers this morning, all right? (laughs) But, you know, in the game of football, it wouldn't make any difference who you put on the other side of the ball. If you've got God on this side, looks pretty good, doesn't it? Yeah. And that's a good thing to remember in the game of life. Because the Bible very, very clearly says that God is for you. God has no desire to judge you. He will if you make Him. But He has no desire to judge you. He created you to be His son or His daughter. So He wants to invite you into His family. He wants to share life with you, and not just life here. He wants to share eternity with you. And uh, I hope you hear that message loud and clear this morning. As Bob said to you earlier, we're finishing a series, and um, I've looked forward to bringing this particular message because in many ways, you could take the previous three messages, kind of put them together. They all aim at this particular concept. So I'm very glad you're here this morning. If you're here for the very first time, let me kind of help you get the lay of the land. If you open your program on the inside of your program, you'll find some fill-in-the-blank notes. And uh, they will help you not only follow along in what I'm going to say over the next few minutes, but they will be a valuable resource to you if you'll take them home and at least once in the coming week if you'll pull them out and read through them. Because the basic idea of you coming to church is, is not just so you could check it off your list. The basic idea of coming to church is that God might change your life. And that you might hear something today from God's Word that you could embrace into your life that would make a difference in how you live Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and so forth. And then come back again next Sunday and hear something else. And every week take a step at a time If you put enough steps together back to back, you get a journey. And that's really what God has called us on, is a wonderful spiritual journey that eventually ends up in His presence. And so this morning, I invite you to take that step, whatever that ends up being in your life. I want to talk to you about footprints this morning. If you go to Vernal, Utah the southeastern corner of the state of Utah, there's a place called Dinosaur Monument 
National Dinosaur Monument there in Vernal, Utah. Been there myself. You can see the footprints of dinosaurs that have been fossilized into stone. You can also see real skeletons of dinosaurs that have been unearthed. Whole skeletons of dinosaurs that have been unearthed. If you go down to Texas, to the Paloxy River, you can also see the, the footprints of a dinosaur that made his way across that river when it was relatively dry and it was just a muddy riverbed and his feet pressed into the mud and then that got fossilized and it's, now it's in stone. Who can forget O.J. Simpson and the Bruno Molly shoe prints, Right? The bloody shoe prints. You know what all of those things say? When you see footprints, basically they're saying, I was here, whoever that was. You see a footprint of a dinosaur, you know a dinosaur has been there. Many a crime scene, many a criminal has been linked to the crime scene because we know if the shoe print, the footprint is there, then the criminal was there. Have you ever asked yourself, what kind of footprints am I going to leave when I leave this life? Because like that dinosaur, you won't live forever. Not on this earth. You know, some people leave good footprints. Some people leave bad footprints. Some people leave footprints that are so imperceptible, it's as if their life never happened. They never influenced anybody really for good. They never influenced anybody really for bad. They just kind of holed up in their own little world, did their own thing, lived and died, and no one really noticed that they lived, and no one really notices that they died because the footprints they leave behind really don't even scratch the surface of this earth. And then other people leave huge footprints. Have you ever asked yourself, kind of footprints am I going to leave? Will they be good? Will they be bad? Will they be large? Will they be small? Well, that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, because one of the things that people who study human behavior are beginning to understand, and a growing number of them are saying, among the most basic needs of the human spirit is the need for significance. In other words, I can't really feel like I have fully lived until I know that my life makes a significant difference in this world. I want to challenge you with that thought because that's actually a very biblical thought. You've been given one and only one life to live on planet earth. You have this opportunity, this lifetime, to take this world that you've been born into and the people that you have been born into that community, and you have this one and only life to actually make a difference in that world. And God would say to you, make a difference. I want you to make a difference. Above all, don't waste your life. So time's in. 
It's not like he can take a big break from life and come back and pick up where you left off. Because for however long you take that break, those years are wasted. You will never get them back. Time's in. So let's make time count. Now I want to point you to a couple of passages of Scripture and, and then a third one that gives a principle. Take a look at this first passage of Scripture. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king. By the way, if you become king at 32, is life pretty good? I'd say life is great. He became king at 32. He reigned in Jerusalem eight years. Look at this next phrase. He passed away what? Can you imagine? That's the epithet that's put on your tombstone. He passed away to no one's regret. You know, I don't know if his footprints were big or small, but I know they were bad. You can figure that out, right? And he was buried in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the king. What happened to this guy? At 32 years of age, he steps into the most influential position in the entire kingdom, and he has the opportunity to do something great with his life. And by the time he's done, eight years later, at the age of 40, he's a nobody. Literally a nobody. Took place in only eight years. Let me read you the second passage. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him. Boy, there's the flip side. Here's the man Joshua who steps into the same role. Although not king, he was the point man or the leader for the entire nation of Israel. And throughout his entire lifetime, because Joshua was such a godly man, his influence spread over the entire nation of Israel. And they all worshipped and served God throughout his entire lifetime. But not just his, all the elders who outlived him because his influence continued to live out through them. Now there's two guys. Their names both begin with J. Exact opposites. Wow. Now here's what the Bible says in Proverbs. Good people will be remembered as a what? Blessing. But evil people will soon be forgotten. With all of my heart as a pastor, as a fellow human being, I want to encourage you, boy, get yourself in the first category. Make yourself a blessing to people around you. Not, not, not just average. Don't just melt into the crowd. Don't just kind of live your own life and do your own thing and try to keep everybody out of your hair and you stay out of everybody else's hair. And basically, you just want to live in your own little corner of the world. God says, get out. Be a part of people's lives. Get into the community. Get into the community of faith and bless people and make a difference because when you leave this world... Hopefully you'll leave some very significant footprints that will say, I have been here. What a great thing. Now the Bible gives, and there's so many things that could go into this, but as I prayed about it, God narrowed it down and said, listen, I want, to give, I want you to give the people three concepts this morning. And there are three wonderful teachings out of God's Word that if we will embrace them and embrace them fully into our lives and take them home this week and begin to pray about them and begin to meditate on them and figure out how they work in our lives and and, and what shape they should take in our lives, that when we die, between now and then, 
we will have made a difference in our world. Let's take a look at what those three are. Number one is this. Invest your life in a selfless cause that lasts for eternity. I want to pull out the three words that you're writing in the blanks. I want to talk to you for just a minute about those three words. The first word is the word invest. Now, invest stands kind of in contrast to spend or consume. Can I say to you, when you go to Kohl's, you're not investing? Does that make sense to you? You're spending. You're consuming, but you're not investing. You see, spending or consuming requires no discipline. We can all do that, right? It's investing that requires discipline. When, when you have income that comes in, instead of going out and spending it, to reserve a portion of that and not put your hands on it, but to go and invest it so that it can grow. It requires discipline to invest. It requires no discipline to spend. The same thing is true with your life. It requires no discipline to spend your life. And many people spend their lives. They consume their lives, but they don't invest their lives. Did you think about that concept for a minute? By the way, most commercials you see on television encourage you to spend your life, not invest it. But God would say to you, why spend your life? What do you get out of that? Maybe a little pleasure for the here and now. We'll talk in a few minutes about where that can lead. But when it's done, it's all done. You spend it all. Your life is all gone. Why not invest your life? Now, listen, the purpose of investing is actually so that you would end up with more than what you invested, correct? I know that for some of us that didn't happen recently in the stock market, okay? But the idea behind it was still the same. That if I invest, I will actually end up with more. I want you to think about that for a minute with your life. Because if you're willing to invest your life, then what happens is you multiply your life and you actually feel more alive the longer you live because you're actually accruing life. You ever wonder what makes some old people just a boatload of fun to be around? And I really don't know how to describe the others. <laughs> Maybe it goes without saying, right? Well, those who have invested their life, the longer they live, the wider their circle of influence the greater their impact on the people around them, the more endeared they are to the people around them, and the more they love the people that they're with. Man, I want to grow like that. I want to leave that kind of footprint. Because that's a life that's invested. It's not just spent. Remember the story of the prodigal son? Even if you're new to church, you probably heard the story of the guy who went to his dad said, give me my goods, my inheritance, I'm out of here. You don't know how to run the farm and I know how to live life. Well, the next phrase is, he got his inheritance and he went off and he squandered it in riotous living. Was he spending or investing? What do you think? 
spending. And it didn't take long until he was like Jehoram. (laughs) Maybe eight years and it was all gone. And everything that he thought he wanted in life, he realized was nothing. The second word is the word selfless. Invest your life in a selfless cause. There are many, many, many selfless causes. But I want you to think for a minute, if there's, there's only kind of two sets of arrows for your life. There's the arrows that point inward. And, and when we act selfishly, everything's coming in. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about where I want to go. It's all about my reputation. It's all about my clothes and my house and my car and, and my whatever else it is. Those are all inner pointed things, even when we are not necessarily selfish, but self-absorbed. It's still our focus is all inward. Okay? Can I tell you that when your focus is inward, you get less and less happy and you feel less and less alive. Always has been that way. You can see it in a two-year-old child, right? When the two-year-old child is focused on what they want and how they feel and where they want to go, is that fun to be around? Do they end up laughing and enjoying life in those moments? Are you kidding? No, they torment themselves. Well, we just kind of never grow out of that when we get self-focused. But think with me for a minute when the arrows point out and when my focus is how I can bless others and what's happening in other people's lives and what I can do that would lift their spirits and what I can do that would help them through a tough time and other causes in my world that are selfless. There's an amazing transformation that comes over me. Now, I don't know how you feel about tree huggers, and I don't really care, all right? (laughs) You remember the people that camped out in the trees over in Berkeley? Okay? Now, regardless of how you feel about trees, I'll tell you what, you have to hand it to anyone who would hang out in a tree for a selfless cause. True? Yeah. It's selfless. But can I tell you that the best selfless causes in the world, you ready to write this down? There's one key. The best selfless causes in the world are the causes that are closest to the heart of God. You know why? Because when you invest yourself in a cause outside yourself that's close to the heart of God, guess what? It lasts for eternity. Imagine that. Anything you spend on yourself, guess what? You are leaving it here. You can't buy anything at Kohl's you can take with you. Nothing. No offense to anybody that works at Kohl's or any of that stuff, all right? Whatever you spend on yourself, you've got to leave it here. But if you invest your life in a cause outside of yourself that's closest to the heart of God, well, I'll tell you what, you get to take that with you for eternity. You want to leave a big footprint? 
If you want your life to really make a difference, then you weigh whatever causes you're giving yourself to, you weigh those against eternity. And you weigh those against God's heart. Boy, when you get next to God's heart and in alignment with God's heart, then you're making some real difference in this world. Let me read you a couple of passages of Scripture. My dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Notice it does not say be stubborn, okay, for all you guys, right? Be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for whom? That's the causes that are closest to the heart of God. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever what? Boy, you're never wasting your time. Never wasting your time. Last Sunday when I left here, at about a quarter to two, I counted there were 45 people still in this building at a quarter to two in the afternoon. Ah, That's pretty cool. There were groups, there was a whole group of people who were upstairs and they were working on a mission trip to Mexico and they were gathered around the table and they were eating food together and they were having a great time figuring out how they're going to go down to Mexico and how they're going to build a house for a family that really needs a house. You think that might be a cause close to God's heart? What do you think? Big time. Yeah. It was just fun to watch. There was another whole group of people that were meeting back here, and they too were gathered around a table. And at this point, I can't remember what they were working on. I do remember, however, they were eating nachos. (laughs) I do remember that. And I do know that the nachos were made partly in a crock pot and partly in a a slow cooker. And one half of that worked, and the other half of that did not work quite so well. But you know what? There were 45 people all working on selfless causes that last for eternity. I came in here yesterday morning, and there was a group of people meeting in a room back here, maybe eight or nine, and, and they were working on writing a course for new believers for this church. A selfless cause outside of themselves that will last for eternity. It will help shape people's lives as they become new believers in Christ. There were two groups of people working in here, one on the stage on, on, on things that were happening on the stage. And next week when you come in and we start a brand new sermon series going through the book of Colossians called A Life Worth Living. And you'll see the stage transformed into a sort of miniature garden. And they were working on all of those things. Again, a selfless cause outside of themselves, doing something for God's kingdom that lasts for eternity. There were guys up on scissor lifts and ladders and they were moving lights and getting things set up for us this morning. And then there was another whole group of people that were walking around the building and they had vacuums strapped on their backs and they were vacuuming and getting the place ready so that you and I could come to a clean building. You know, it was just every day people serving saying, yes, I can invest my life in something outside of myself. So that's principle number one. Principle number, well, let me read Revelation 14 for you as well. I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this down. By the way, whenever a voice comes from heaven and says, write this down, you think you might be able to take it to the bank? I'm guessing you can. All right, here's what it said. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they are blessed indeed, for they rest from their hard work. I want you to read the rest out loud with me. Ready? Let's read. For their good deeds... Follow them. 
Wow. There you have it. Let's go to principle number two. Principle number two is don't destroy the work of your life with sinful behavior. Wow. You know, there's an amazing thing about sin. The first thing that you and I usually notice about sin is how much fun it is. Isn't that the truth? Of course. If it didn't look like fun, no one would do it. But that's what we first usually notice about sin. Golly, that looks like fun. But the deal is about sin. It has the skin of pleasure wrapped around a core of destruction and bondage. Because that's sin's true nature. And if you don't think so, you just ask anyone who's lived in sin long enough. They'll tell you. Now, God wants you to know the truth about that right up front. So He tells you, don't be deceived by how sin appears because once you get down inside of it, its real nature is bondage and destruction. Who hasn't turned on the TV and seen some pastor throw away the work of his entire life for the pleasures of a short-lived and temporary affair? How sad. Those are pretty easy to identify. You know what's a little less easy to identify? I get to hear it. People come into my office and they repeat to me a phrase that their husband or their wife said in a moment of anger that just destroyed them. And they've worked for years to build a marriage. And in a fit of rage, they blew it up. I want to give you an illustration. You can't build a house with dynamite, but you can tear it down. How are houses built? One board at a time, right? One window at a time, one foundation at a time, and you put enough boards in the right places, enough windows in the right places, enough nails in the right places, enough screws in the right places, enough shingles in the right places. If you choose it all right, and you do it all in the right order, and you put them on one at a time, one at a time, it takes a long time to build a house, but it's beautiful and wonderful. How long does it take you to tear it down with dynamite? You can do it in half a second. You understand that picture? God says, now don't destroy the work of your life with sinful behavior. I have people come into my office 30, 40, 50 years of age. And you know what they're repeating to me? They're repeating to me a phrase that their dad used or their mom used when they were small children. And somehow, they've never been able to get beyond it. You know what that parent did? Board after board after board, window, door, foundation, shingles, roof. Boom! 
destroyed. God says, with all of my heart, I want you to exercise care in what you say and what you do. Because sin looks pleasurable. It's what you feel like saying or feel like doing in the moment. But you can destroy the work of your hands in a heartbeat. Let me read you a couple, a passage. That's why the Bible says this. My dear brothers, take note of this. When God says take note of this, it means get your pencil out and underline it. Here it comes. Ready? Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. You can't build anything good in your life with anger. You won't. It goes on to say, therefore, get rid of all what? Moral filth. Not just anger. Get rid of all sin and the evil that is so... What's that next word? That means you got it. You understand? Yeah. It means you have a sinful nature. It's prevalent. It's everywhere. And humbly accept the Word planted in you which can what? Save you from what you would be by yourself. That's what that means. So number two, don't destroy the work of your life through sinful behavior. Let's go to number three. Don't give up when the going gets tough. Yeah. I wrote this down in my margin. Every good decision I make, every good value I choose, every lifestyle, good lifestyle that I embark on will be tested. Does that make sense to you? No matter what you do, it's going to get tested. Every decision, you know, by the way, if you made a decision that was easy to make and was never tested and you could be successful in it without even trying, guess what? Everyone else would be doing it and it wouldn't be significant. Isn't that true? Yeah. Because if you just do what everybody else does, how's that significant? It's not. It's just average. Wow. But you can make sure that every good decision you make is going to get tested. And by the way, it's going to get tested three ways. And there's a little room there for you to write these down. Number one, it's going to be tested by your own selfish nature. I was visiting with someone on the way into church this morning. They said, man, it's glad to see you. And they said, man, was I tested when the alarm clock went off today. The old flesh said, why now? <laughs> Why should you get up? How important is church anyway? You think they're going to have church if you don't show up? Yeah, well then you don't really need to go. We all have that sort of nature in us. Every good decision. Bob talked about decisions to exercise. When it's time to exercise, do you always have that thing on the inside that goes, yeah, man, this is going to be fun. I'm going to go sweat and hurt. Boy, that's fun. When you make a decision to go on a diet, you just, I love cottage cheese. <laughs> it's like the 19th day in a row I've had this. Every decision you make is going to get tested by your own nature. 
because we have this side of our nature that's just fleshly. It's sinful. And it just wants to drag us and call us over to that side of life. We all got it. And by the way, until Jesus comes again or you die and go to heaven, you actually never get rid of that nature. It's there. The second way you're going to get tested is you're going to get tested by friends and family who don't necessarily share that same value. They're going to go, what? You're throwing your life away. You realize, just get out the calculator with me and figure out how long does it take you to get ready to go to church, get in your car and drive to church, sit through that intolerably boring church service, and then you shake hands with a few people and drive home. Now add that up 52 times a year and multiply that out over the rest of your life. You know how much of your life you're throwing away? will test your resolve. Now, by the way, you know why some of them do that? Because they're guilty. There's an old statement that goes, misery loves what? That's right. So I feel guilty. Now, they don't say that because that would be too truthful. All right? But they'll try to convince you to do with your life what they're doing with theirs. You'll be tested by friends and family. You will also be tested because there actually is a devil in this world. And every time someone makes a decision to do something significant with his or her life, you ever seen the old Far Side cartoon? And I believe it was a deer or an elk that had a target painted right here, right? Bummer of a birthmark, Al, right? Remember that? (laughs) Can I tell you that when you make a decision to do something significant with your life, you get a birthmark kind of right here. And Satan goes, some way, somehow, I'm going to work to defeat that person. Because, you know, if they're successful, they will influence other people. And God forbid, if this person should influence a dozen other people who should then in turn influence another dozen people, we're already up to 144 people. But if I could shoot that one target and bring them down, it's the same as bringing down 144 people at once. That makes sense to you? Yeah, so you're going to get tested. I love what Heather said to you earlier this morning. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. Yeah, you got a birthmark there. Satan's going to shoot at it. But he says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And I will give you the power to overcome. Let me read you two passages of Scripture. Don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. And then the last scripture. Remember the words I spoke to you. This is Jesus. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will what? Persecute you. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey your teaching. I want you to look at both sides of that. Can you see there's a clear choice there? You're going to get both. That's the great thing about being significant. 
There will be people who stand in opposition against you because you have decided to do something really good and wonderful with your life, and they will oppose you at every place. It's okay. They oppose Jesus. But there will be another whole group of people that will actually allow themselves to be influenced by you, and that is what will make your life significant. As we close, I want to leave you with a word. It's a word that oftentimes we don't use except at memorial services. But can I say to you that you were all headed for a memorial service and it's your own? Yeah. Everybody here, unless Jesus comes first, you're going to have one. And the word I'm speaking of is the word legacy. Have you ever heard anyone say, he or she left some mighty big shoes to fill? You've heard that, haven't you? Did you know that that's God's design for your life? That when you leave this world, that you will leave some mighty big shoes to fill. Let me read you this passage. God can do anything. Far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams, He does it not by pushing us around, but by what? Working within us. His Spirit deeply and gently within us. I want to challenge you with that. Would you dare to believe God and trust God and say, God, would you do something great with my life? I'm on board to do these three things. Number one, God, I'll invest my life in a selfless cause that lasts for eternity, believing that you do something great through me. Number two, to the best of my ability, God, I will not destroy the work of my life through sinful behavior. So I need you to speak to me and work in me and warn me when I'm about ready to do something that's going to be destructive or sinful. Okay? And, and, and number three, God, I will take my life as you enable me, and when it gets tough, I won't quit. I will persevere. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would point us in the direction of selfless causes. Thank you for your great church that works all over the world. And God, would you show us how to work in that context in those causes that are closest to your heart. Teach us how to invest, not just a Sunday morning, but how to invest our lives regularly. Then, Father, would you, would you help us not to destroy what you're building in and through us by choosing sinful behavior. And God, when the going gets tough and we get tested, would you help us to endure that test, to pass the test, so that we will receive that harvest when the time is right. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I was here. I crossed this ocean. I walked this path. I lived this life. But what did I leave behind? What evidence will future generations have of my existence? Empty rooms? Faded photographs? Dilapidated buildings? Dust and bones and chiseled stones? 
the scraps of self, the residue of life. The ripples fade and they come to nothing. A footprint, a census, a statistic, ink drying on a death certificate, filed away and gone forever. But maybe a legacy isn't material. Maybe a person's impact can't be determined by a calculator. Maybe the ripples of our time on the earth, the love we show, the faith we share, the good we do, the people we help. Maybe they go on forever. Maybe they multiply with time until a snowball becomes an avalanche, a drop becomes blood, a spark, a fire, and a single voice, a tumult, roaring to the universe. But I walked this path. I lived this life. I was here. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.